Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. We got a big one today. It's an all-time classic episode that features Meta's Director of Marketing Science for SMB and 10-year Facebook veteran, Helen Crossley, along with Ben Yahalom, president of True Classic, which might just be the fastest growing apparel brand of all time, going from zero to nine figures in just two years. True Classic's secret, electric product market fit, and Meta Ads, proving the golden scale days of Meta Ads are far from over. Whether your brand just starting out or a high growth omni-channel juggernaut like True Classic, this podcast is filled with excellent insights about how to get traction on Meta Ads and how to scale to six figures a day. We cover the why behind Meta's Performance 5 and why every brand needs to have these five boxes checked, why Advantage Plus shopping campaigns are by far the most successful ad platform rollout since iOS 14.5, You'll also hear True Classic's creative formula, as well as how to pare it down when you're just getting started, and all about selling the transformation, not the product, and lots more. On with the show, we've got Meta on the line. Let's go! If you really are serious about making these platforms work, you be intentional about it. You don't need to be a big brand to understand who is my customer? What's my product market fit? How do I think about a range of creatives that are really going to speak to that? Creative is the biggest single ever to really move the needle. When we talk about creative, a lot of people immediately think the colors of your ads, the aesthetic. It's really not about that as it is about truly understanding your customer because ultimately those customers don't care if you hit your targets or you're growing fast enough or you're profitable. They don't care. They just have a problem that they may or may not even be aware of that they're trying to solve and you're trying to convince them that you are that solution for their problem. So focus on that. Helen, Ben, welcome to the D2C podcast. It's not every day, in fact, it's not any day that we've ever had a director level meta team member on the podcast. This is a first. Helen, can you just tell me a little bit about your journey at Meta and, and how you kind of got to where you are as the director of marketing science of small of the small business group? Yeah, absolutely. I've been at Meta for about 10 years now, so I've really seen the company grow from you know, early days until what it is today. And, you know, always throughout that time, I've been leading research teams, insights teams, marketing science teams. And the team I lead at the moment is this small business marketing science team. And so we're a big bunch of like massive nerds. And what we do all day long is run experiments and models that are trying to figure out what is the best strategy for an advertiser who's a small or medium business to follow. And so we're looking at things like, okay, if you run a conversions API, what, what outlift would you get? If you do a different targeting strategy, what would that mean for you? And we are really gold on when advertisers adopt the strategies that we're recommending, do they actually get better results? So that's me and my team, uh, and I'm excited to be here. How many people are on the marketing science team in the small and medium business group? We're a pretty agile team. We're not a very large team at Meta. We're about 30, 40 people and uh, lots of different backgrounds, different people, but all of us interested in helping advertisers get better results. Yeah. It's, you know, I've been in the performance marketing game now since around 2000. 
five I was just looking at, which is just wild. And so it's great to know that on the platform side, you have team, a team of people testing, because that's what we talk about on the podcast all the time, is just sort of constantly testing every variable that you have in order to, to test. So it's awesome to hear, obviously, that Meta has a team of dedicated people testing this stuff out all the time. I can't imagine the variables that, that go into coming up with a, a set of rules that kind of are our best practices, right? Because brands are, are so different across the board. Uh, you've got a brand like uh, True Classic, uh, which Ben is here to represent, which has just had just incredible scale on the platform. It's a, it's a, it's a brand that I just see everywhere. So Ben, congratulations on that. And I got to say, when it rains, it pours. Uh, we have our first director level person from Meta, and we also have one of the most omnipresent brands that I like is in my feed everywhere with True Classic. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thank you for having me. Super glad to be here. Can you give me your story a little bit uh, at, at True Classic and, and, and what brought you to the brand? Yeah, of course. So True Classic was founded back in 2019 in the summer, about, what is it now, three and a half years ago, with a pretty simple idea of our purpose is to make every man globally look good and feel good. And we deliver on that by initially designing the best fitted t-shirt of the highest quality and offer it for a fair price point. So there was a lot of research and development that went into that initial skew. How can we reinvent the t-shirt in 2019? As you can imagine, it's not an easy task going into a commoditized space. And we really did it. And the product market fit was just insane out of the gate. And what has happened over the past three and a half years is that we have grown the company tremendously across three key dimensions. The first being the product, given that our purpose is to make every man look good and feel good, how can we do that not just with t-shirts, but with other apparel categories? So we launched a bunch of different categories like activewear and jeans and chinos and jackets. The second dimension was market. What we sold for in the US market is a bigger problem that is uh, out there globally. So how can we bring the true classic magic everywhere around the world. So we expanded into now 190 markets worldwide and international became quickly 30% of our business. And the third dimension is channel. We started with the idea of let's create a website on Shopify like everybody else does. And as we started gaining scale, we started thinking, how can we cast a wider net to serve our customers wherever they may be? So we then launched an app and then we launched on Facebook and Instagram shops. And then we opened shop on Amazon. And now recently we opened our fifth retail location, our own brick and mortar. And we keep looking into any other channel that might be out there for us to operate in, whether it's a marketplace, wholesale partnerships and things of that nature. So the story has been pretty insane. To put this into numbers, we have been able to bootstrap this brand from nothing to nine figures in two short years, doing it profitably, which is truly unheard of and something I'm incredibly proud of. So for myself, really quickly, I'm actually also an ex-meta uh, or Facebook, uh, Facebooker, as I would always call it. Um, and I have just seen firsthand the power of meta in growing small, medium businesses to just insane scale. And what happened with True Classic is I, I got involved from the early days, really consulting the, the founders and the CEO of, of what is possible right on, on the platform. Because when I was at meta, I worked on the disruptors group, which is a pretty unique uh, group of people who focus on, call it 80, 90 of the 10 million plus advertisers that advertise on Meta, trying to help them grow to you know tremendous scale. And I've just seen a lot of the kind of like playbook in practice. But what I've seen with True Classic was just 
completely uh, redefining, if you will, what I thought was possible in terms of gaining so much scale profitably so quickly that I had to jump in. And I have been the president operating the company over the past year full time as we are continuing to, uh, to scale globally. I've been so focused on Meta for the last few years, as, as every advertiser kind of has in, in the space. And there was this feeling that, oh, like gone are the days that you could build a nine-figure company in two years on the back of Meta. You know, that was sort of the wrap. Okay, well, you maybe used to be able to do that. You, know, you used to be able to really scale fast and hard and, and, you know, back in the day, but it's a little bit tougher now. But you guys kind of really shattered that rule, uh, not rule, that false perception, obviously. And then, Helen, I wanted to ask from your perspective, what does True Classic really represent well that has allowed them to have all the success on the platform? Yeah, I think they do a phenomenal job and they're really a great example of a business, you know, like many DTC businesses that is digital first, social media first in, in their outlook. And that really enables them to not have to adapt what they're doing on other platforms and make it work here, but, but figure out what works here really well natively. And so some of the things that I think they do particularly well, one of them is targeting. So you know, traditional media might say, hey, my target audience is men age 45 to 50 who live in metro areas. And that's just not necessarily the case. If you, you follow that, you're missing out on lots of customers. I am a great example. I bought the True Classic product. I bought it for my husband because I saw an ad on Facebook. And maybe in that traditional media world, they wouldn't have targeted me. But in a world where we're social media first and we set a broad targeting, we know that broad targeting leads to significantly higher results than very narrow targeting. So that's a great example. Creative is another one. True Classic has a whole lot of different creative formats out there. And so doing mobile-first video, doing lots of different things and letting our algorithms really figure out and optimize what is the right one to show to the right person to get the highest chance of conversion. And so we know, for example, that mobile-friendly video works really, really well on the platform and that's something that they're leaning into. I could keep going for sure. Measurement strategy, all sorts of things. I want to. I just want to talk a little bit about Performance Five because it's something that's been a persistent um, message from probably. I bet from all this, the the different uh, business science teams on the platform. I think probably a lot of people in our audience are familiar with it. But if you just give a quick rundown of what the Performance Five is and how it affects your advice to small medium businesses. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So my team ran an analysis um, towards the middle of last year, which really looked about. 200,000 campaigns on the platform, really identifying, okay, there's so many, you know, to your point, so many different things that you could do that you could optimize for. What are the five most important things that is going to lead to more success for an e-commerce business starting out on the platform? And really the first one is conversions, API and pixel, making sure that you have those brilliant basics in place is really important. And it leads to about a 13% improvement in performance. The second one is broad targeting. So I spoke a little bit about that, making sure that you're not assuming who your customer is, but you're letting our systems really figure that out for you. The third one is mobile first creative, making sure you're thinking about creative formats that are going to be fitting on a mobile screen, short, putting your branding up front nice and early are all the best practices that we have around that. Um, the fourth one is really around account structure making sure that you're not bidding against yourself in our auction, making sure that you're setting up your account so that it's simple, you don't have too many you know, ads competing against each other, that nothing's overlapping is really important, actually leads to a significant performance increase. And then the fifth one is really measurement. 
So we know that brands who measure get about an 18% better performance just for the fact that they're constantly figuring out what's working best. Because I can give you advice all day long on what works best on average, but you really need to figure out for you and your brand, test those strategies out and figure out what is your secret source. So use A-B testing, use conversion lift, figure out for you and your brand, what is the thing that's going to make your performance skyrocket? It's the true revolution of meta ads, of Facebook ads, right? Is, is that ability to get instant feedback on across all these different metrics. Ben, you know, the scale, like literally, I say omnipresent in the intro because it's like literally I told some friends, I told two friends that I was going to have True Classic on the podcast and they had both been in your funnel heavily and had just bought. Both of them had actually just bought. And so I just feel like, especially for, for men and I guess for women buying, it's it's just everywhere in the feed. And I'm just from your perspective, like what's it been like tapping into Facebook at this level? I guess you always knew it was possible having come from Meta. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I would just second everything that Helen mentioned. It's really important to lean into those best practices, but not necessarily follow them blindly. And then really figure out for yourself, what are the nuances? Because some of those best practices might not be the right practice for you as an individual business. However, there is enough um, truth behind them, right? That's where they became a best practice that you really need to figure out how to make them work for you and maybe make your own tweaks. It's been... Uh, just unbelievable to watch it on the brand side and what Meta is truly capable of. And I'm not playing favorites here. I truly believe it, even though I was an, an ex-Facebooker, that nothing is quite like that out there. You can't be you know, spending six figures daily and still get the return that you need to make ends meet and, and you know, acquire customers at a break-even or even profitably on pretty much any other platform. When you think about global expansion, Nobody gets you kind of like cross border more efficiently than Meta either. And you know, if I'm thinking over this past year, iOS 14 was a big you know discussion point, and maybe the whole evolution around kind of like privacy first and what it did for a lot of brands. And I think to Helen's point around targeting, it almost uh, forced a lot of people to forego some of the you know more narrow targeting options that they may have had uh, used. You know, previously, if it's custom audiences and things like that, where audiences started to shrink. So it almost forced you to start going broad. And what we see, which is really interesting, and I think it's another point that Helen brought up, is when we go broad, it's not that we don't target, it's that we let our creative do the targeting for us. And what happens is, if we have an hypothesis of like, hey, there is many Helens out there who want their husbands or, or boyfriends to look good and feel good, and they might be really interested in buying it for them. How do we understand that persona? What is motivating her? What is her potential, you know, kind of like hook that is going to resonate with her? Let's develop that creative and put it out there. And what you see naturally is that when you create this like ads with females in mind, the auction naturally just skews incredibly heavily towards females without you actually specifying, hey, let's target only females, kind of like in the old fashioned way, right? So leaning into this idea of like signal and optimization and letting your creative do the hardcore targeting is something we've seen a lot of success with. And we're lucky because we have a really broad category we're playing in, which truly can resonate with anybody, whether they're buying it for themselves or someone else. Um, so. Those are some of the, the things we've been uh, leaning into. 
we talk about that on the podcast all the time about the cre- creative uh, attention is is the new oil in a way, and creative is is the way that Meta allows you to to get that attention in a way. Yeah, and I, I have to say, like your you you spoke to it as well, Ben. Your product market fit, I think, is insane, and the the subtle psychology of like every man who's ever put on a shirt has felt it didn't quite fit right. That the, the traditional way a t-shirt fits does isn't flattering, doesn't look good. And your ads just came right out and said that in a way that I just think goes right into the reptilian brain of men. They're like, oh man, I could look better in a shirt. I just think, yeah, I think that product market fit is really what nailed it. And I think it just shows you that there's, yeah, this unlimited scale when you nail that product market fit, right? And so like any brand out there, I think you hear it sometimes brands are like, oh, I've burnt out my audience or I've, oh, you know, I'm too saturated in this space or whatever. Like you're, you're living proof that that's you know, almost not possible if you're spending six figures a day to reach this audience. A hundred percent. What I always tell brands is look inward. Because what, it's the easiest thing to blame the, you know, the channel isn't working anymore, the audience is saturated, the, the world is upside down. Look inward, try to figure out like not how the channel isn't working, but how can you make the channel work for yourself? By the way, not just for meta, but for everything you do. And if you really take that kind of like advice to heart, you start realizing that you have actually a lot more control over making it work. And so if your creative isn't sticky, what is it? Is it the hook that is not you know, capturing people's attention and you need to be a little bit more creative there? Is your offer not that great? If you're talking about product market fit, listen to your customers. We're obsessing over our customer reviews like probably no other brand, trying to really over-deliver, right? Because the product is ultimately the foundation. I can do great marketing and sell them on the dream, but guess what? If I sold them that my shirt is the best fitted in the world and I gave it to them, and they put it on and were disappointed. Like, what's good is that doing to us? Nothing, right? Like, if anything, we just wasted money acquiring a customer that then initiates a return and we lost the whole thing. So there's a few important pieces you, you just touched on. And so if I were to, you know, think about it from like an advice perspective to, to the audience, I know there's a lot of D2C brands who are listening to your, to your podcast religiously and a lot of founders in the room. What I would probably focus on these days is, is two main buckets. I'm actually, let's, let's put it as three main buckets. The first is the foundation, and Helen just covered it. Just get all the foundation right. Set up your pixel, cappy, you know, all this stuff that you probably already heard from your reps. Just make sure that's done. But once it is done, then you can just move on and almost forget about it because your setup is there. And then put all your energy into two buckets, strategy and execution. Strategy is all about measurement. Wherever performance goes, budget should flow and be really agnostic, lean into incrementality, set up a marketing mix model, ask your people post-purchase, how did they first hear about you and if they're returning customers, what drove you to the site today? Really, really try to understand what is working, why it's working and take this data-driven approach and lean on any partner you have in that area. So if, you have, if you're one of the lucky ones that get you know, Helen and her team's support on measurement science, like I would, you know, hatch onto it and get as much of their time as possible to really help you do that. Brand leaf studies, conversion leaf studies, there is a plethora of tools out there to really get the strategy right and understand how to move the needle. When it comes to execution, it's all about creative. And creative is the biggest single ever within your control as a brand to really move the needle. And when we talk about creative, a lot of people immediately think about just, you know, the creative elements being the colors of your ads or the aesthetic. It's really not about that, in my opinion, as it is about truly, truly understanding your customer, truly understanding what motivates them, what might be a barrier for them from making a purchase, who they are buying for, why they are buying, 
and leaning into this like psychology-based creative approach. Because ultimately those customers don't care about what you do as a brand. They don't care if you hit your targets or you're growing fast enough or you're profitable. They don't care. They just have a problem that they may or may not even be aware of that they're trying to solve and you're trying to convince them that you are that solution for their problem. So focus on that with different hooks, with different messages, with different formats until you figure out with the measurement what's working. This is where I would put all the energy these days. Um, and personally, I would steer clear of the old way of marketing where people put a lot of effort on like media buying hacks and hyper-targeting and segmentation and all of those things that perhaps used to work well back in the, in the day. But I personally don't believe that this is where, uh, where it's at right now. Helen, anything to add on there? Yeah, I, just one thing. I, I think, you know, everything that Ben said plus one. Um, and then one other thing I would add is once you get to that point where you have a lot of creative, where you have, you know, a, a decent sized budget to play with and, and you have a, a product with a broad audience, the other thing I would recommend on top of that is there's a fairly new product out called Advantage Plus Shopping. And it came out in um, around the fall of last year. And what it does is it adds an AI layer to all of those decisions and makes it a whole lot easier for you. So 100% what Ben said, like, it's not about necessarily the hack of this or that, because the system will actually do that for you. And I have to say the buzz around this product has been really incredibly positive. You know, we're seeing brands just getting really great results across the board. I think, um, you know, many, many case studies out there that you can have a look at, but that's one. Extra- Pilot House, for sure. We talk about it on the podcast, for sure. I think they're running it head to head on almost every campaign and it's it's doing quite well. Yes. Test it. You know, my, my advice always is, is test it. it. It might not be your silver bullet, but for a lot of brands, you know, particularly in the DTC space who have, you know, technical term alert, what I call a lot of liquidity. So lots of creative, big target audience, a bit of budget to play with is working really nicely. It's so I've been a hacky media buyer for you know a very long time now, and this idea of like you know testing this technical thing and testing this technical thing. Then on the other spectrum, you've got the platforms that are trying to take as many of those decisions in house as possible for because they have the broadest picture. And I feel like there's always this little bit of a a tug between the platforms. Uh, wanting to have more broader control and then the hacky media buyers trying to do less. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. Ben, where are you guys with Advantage Plus? Oh, this has been a huge, huge unlock for us. And perhaps the single most meaningful product release for growth marketers by Meta since the iOS 14 chaos unleashed on all of us. Um, This has been um, just a really, it's almost like, a miracle, if you will, when you look at uh, just pure performance and you do exactly what you both said that you should do, which is test it, right? That's what I, every time I'm coming across, you know, a hacky media buyer and I come across them daily, as you can imagine, being in this space, I always say like, I would love for you to hack the system. Just prove it. Prove that you're able to do a better job at scale more efficiently. And then let's let's follow your lead. I mean, again, my approach is to follow the data. ASC specifically has proven us over and over again to just be better, perform better, more scalable. And yes, it does come with you know you basically unleashing control. And as you can imagine, going back to the human psychology, growth marketers are no different. Uh, who doesn't like to be in control? 
I don't know a lot of people who would say, I hate control. I want to like relinquish it and just trust the machine and let it do its thing, right? So it's very counterintuitive, especially for people who have been trained in this industry to, to have full control over the audiences and their budgets and how they pace and how, what ads spend and all of that good stuff. Um, there is another thing, not to get too philosophical here, which I think is interesting, where if you are a leader, you need to really make your team understand that they don't need to force kind of like proving their value. And what I've seen in the industry is that media buyers feel like, well, look, if AST is doing a better job than me hacking the account, then what, what the heck am I doing here, right? And so they're almost like trying really hard to make themselves kind of like seem valuable. And so what I would recommend as, as the brand leader is to say like, look, it's not, it's not about that. There is plenty to do. Just take your time and effort and energy and put it in the right spots. So instead of focusing on that, take it and just focus on, again, the creative, the customer, understand them better, understand how to talk to them in a way that resonates, right? You can spend all day, every day, putting all your energy and juice in that. And what Meta and others, even if you think about like, you know, Google with Performance Max, and I mean, this is where everything is going, right? AI, this is the, the year of AI. I think it's like a true AI or robotics revolution we are kind of like all entering this year, is that it just frees you up to delegate some of this stuff to the bots, if you will, trust that they can do a better job and move on and elevate yourself to be a true marketer and focus on the things that you can make a difference on. And so um, that's how we've been uh, leaning into it. And again, every time something goes down, actually, let me put it this way, before it even goes down, we are the first to participate in those alphas and betas and tests. Uh, we are going all in, we try to prove it out. If we see success, we are probably the fastest movers out there in terms of like changing our way of, of thinking and very open-minded and not married to any status quo or idea. We just, again, try to see what performs best and lean, lean in fully. Helen, are you able to talk about how, when you guys get involved with, with brands, like Ben mentioned earlier, just a little bit about some of the reports and some of the ways that, that the business science team has been able to help. Can you expand a little bit on, on like when in a, in a business's life cycle, your team might in, get involved and how you might be able to help? Yeah, sure. So, so my team specifically, we work with advertisers, not one-to-one, -one, but we work on making sure that everything that we're putting out there as meta, so whether that's in an email or maybe you're getting a call from a rep, making sure that that is grounded in best practices and solid advice, and then ensuring that a brand has all of the self-serve tools that they might need to be able to execute on some of what Ben was talking about. So, you know, you don't need a me to run an A-B test. It's all there in the platform for you, and it works really well. And so my team specifically is not engaging one-to-one -one with clients, but there are another, you know, other marketing scientist teams across the company who do at times engage with, with clients when they do have a particular kind of measurement challenge or a question that they're trying to figure out um, for their performance specifically. Very cool. Anything, I think you mentioned the Performance 5, obviously, but because we have we have a lot of big brands in this audience. We have a lot of aspirational brands as well, brands just starting out. Do you have any, like, what's your sort of most pared down advice maybe for brands who are really just starting out, maybe beyond the, the, the Performance 5? The biggest thing I see small brands starting out do wrong, honestly, is chucking 20 bucks and a pretty average creative at the system to run a test and see if it works and expecting that to work well. I think 
if you really are serious about making these platforms work, will you be intentional about it? Really spend a little bit of time thinking about you know, all the things that Ben talked about. You don't need to be a big brand to understand who is my customer, who is my, my, what's my product market fit? How do I think about a creative or you know, a, a range of creatives that are really going to speak to that, that I can test out? So just being a little bit intentional when you're starting out will lead to dramatically increased chance of success. So that is my number one piece of advice for people getting started. And my number two piece of advice is measure. So have a measurement strategy to know, did that work? What was I expecting? What would work better? Use A-B testing, use all of the reporting surfaces to have an idea of, of what particularly is working so you're not sitting there guessing. Huge. Yeah, I think Ben mentioned it earlier, but that post-purchase survey as a way to have that other data point, like obviously the on-platform data, which is, is getting better and better, as well as that external point. How do you guys think about measurement at this point, Ben? I, I'm sure you guys have measured things uh, six ways to Sunday. How, how, how does your team think about measurement? Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a data junkie. I love measurement. Um, I feel like you can't obsess over it enough is what it feels like, especially at our level of spend. And no matter how much time and effort and energy I put into it, I still feel like we are on ground zero of truly, truly, truly understanding what's going on. So, you know, measurement has gone through a major disruption as well, right? Everybody used to sing the praises of those MTA, let me use the full thing, multi-touch attribution models, right? The likes of, uh, nowadays there is Triple Whale, there is Northbeam, used to be all, all sorts of, of tools like that. Um, but then all this shift to privacy and, and uh, has happened and really just broke all those models. So the reality is, People don't even know who is coming from where. Last click is completely broken. I'll just throw it out of the window. It means nothing in reality. And so what we do to bring this to life, I said from articulating the problem that we're all facing because it's everybody's problem is a few things. One is realize there is no single source of truth anymore, not that I'm aware of. It's all about this idea of triangulation, right? You're trying to just try different methods to put it together and figure out what feels right. And so we, we divide it into two categories. The first category is around budget allocation, right? That's like high level. You have a bunch of channels. We are kind of like on all of them. So you have the meta channels, you have Google, you have YouTube, you have TikTok, you have direct mail and podcasts and TV and just everything that you can imagine. How should you optimize that mix, right? And so ultimately, if you're a brand, you're starting to think about like, well, what do I value? For us, it's about, you know, top line revenue and profitability. So I need to know what is driving that. So there is this concept of a marketing mix model that's trying to say, okay, let's look at all the things together and see how are they driving those outcomes that you value, right? So you do this, it's basically a regression model. So you look, trying to understand if there is a relationship. If I'm spending more on meta, do I start seeing revenue and profit comes through or not? And if so, how strong is that relationship and what is the coefficient, right? So you, you, you start there, you run the survey, which is also really insightful in terms of how people first heard about you, what drove them to the store. You run incrementality studies with the partners, and or with other partners. So partners being kind of like you can run it with Meta and Google, et cetera, but you can also run it with third parties, whether it's like a GeoLift tool like Measured, which is one we use. And that all together is what you're trying to figure out when you're trying to figure out like how to allocate your budget. Then there is the intra-platform optimization kind of cross tactics, which ad performs the best? What ad set should I put more money into? And for that, we use those MTA models. So we use Triple Well all the time as well as on platform. 
And that is perfectly great signal to understand is A doing better than B? Not how great they're doing in aggregate, right? Because if you did that, you would go and put all your money into, let's say, branded search that on the surface on the last click tells you that you have a 15x ROAS and you would be a gazillionaire just putting all your money into this, right? And so you can see is branded search doing better or worse compared to itself over time, but really understand essentially what tool in the measurement toolbox is good for what decision, right? And then and then build a framework around that. And we go really, really deep and try to fully understand not just top line revenue, which is what everybody is like stopping at, but down to like our contribution profit. So really understand your unit economics. What are you paying in payment processing fees and product cogs in shipping in fulfillment pick and pack? What's the expected return rate and the cost of those returns and the expected exchange rate and the cost of those exchanges? Really understand your business all the way down to that contribution margin or profit so you can spend accordingly, right? And if you are a brand that's trying to grow from you know, four to five to six to seven and so on figures, I can't stress enough how important it is to understand your business PNL, like truly, truly do, so you can spend more confidently and understand, can I make ends meet if I were to scale 2x, 3x, 10x, right? Totally. We jumped down the uh, the attribution rabbit hole there, which I love. But Helen, I wanted to go back to what you said a little bit about the first mistake you see brands make, which is that they throw an average creative at the system, throw it 20 bucks, and they, and they say go, and they expect magic. So as an alternative to that for brands out there who are getting started, how, what do you recommend? Like, you know, if we, if we talk to Ben, ask him how many creatives their team are pumping out in a week, uh, it's going to be a very different answer than, than maybe what these beginners are. But that being said, with creative being this absolute necessary fuel, how would you advise brands who are just starting out approach creative in terms of that velocity or volume that they need to have on a platform like Meta? So, so there's kind of two schools of thought here, right? So the, the first school of thought is, Figure out one thing that works really nicely. So do one thing. And if you're only going to do one thing, it, it would be a mobile-friendly video with a nice branding up front and a nice hook. And try and get something great. The second school of thought is quantity, not quality necessarily, and try and get the system to optimize for you. I think the truth is somewhere in between. So if you have one great mobile-friendly video and then a range of like a static image, a few different copies that you can test out, you know, if you have five to 10 pieces that you feel good about, you're probably in good shape. You don't need a hundred or a thousand by any means to get started. But one thing that is important is variation. So giving it, you know, different imagery, different look and feel, different hook in each one, that is really what you want to be ensuring. So, so one great mobile friendly video and a couple of pieces that look and feel different from that is the best advice I would give. And, and by the way, just on like that, the talking about measurement and attribution that Ben was saying, never mind AI putting me out of a job. I think Ben is going to put me out of a job because I could not give a better answer to that measurement discussion, in, truly, in terms of like just the, the way we recommend businesses to measure, to test, to understand what's working for them. Triangulation and even just going in depth about what you're comparing against what, I, I think that's that's unique to think about as well. Ben, on the creative side, Flex, like what, well, first of all, I'd ask back to your beginning days, what were the creatives that really connected that made you guys realize or made before you made the team realize that this company could be huge? The videos that I see all the time are the ones where it's the guys discussing the t-shirt, a girl discussing uh, how her guy looks in a t-shirt. And again, just getting to that psychological angle in a really clear and even low budget way. Some of them are higher budget, some of them are lower budget. But from your perspective, what, what have been the creatives that, that have drove it? Yeah, I mean, look, we are all um, 
in this like attention economy is what I call it, right? And it's so, it's getting just increasingly more difficult to get people to really care. And so you need to think about, you know, those trends in the context of like, what would make someone we, you know, call it like to stop this scroll or pay attention, right? Or whatever the case might be. And what we have found, and I think it probably is in line with Meta's best practices, is that it's ultimately all about authenticity and kind of like what would resonate, right? So if you think about it, let's say you are in your shoes, right? Who would you believe more? Uh, me uh, hiring models and telling you how great True Classic is or other customers showing it to you on themselves and raving about how amazing the product is, right? This whole concept of what people call UGC or user-generated content, right? You would prove yourself pretty quickly that this UGC thing works really well, but why, right? Because it's really almost like the best form of social proof. And if you go back to psychology, it's one of the most proven ways to get people to believe you and want to follow suit, right? So we leaned really heavily into those concepts, right? With influencers, with user-generated content, trying to create very, very, very authentic, funny, edgy content for our users. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We're not trying to be this most polished brand who speaks kind of like super high level and makes all, you know, brand-oriented CMOs the most proud of their marketing output. We don't care at all about it. We're trying to find the formats that speak to our customers in a way that resonate with them and speak truth to them. So uh, those are some of kind of like the categories. And then you go back and you say, you know, there's different moments, right? Like I'll just put it out there too, that there is moments where all the people care about is, is the deal, right? So if you think about like, let's say Cyber 5, like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, we see a lot of success with just static images with a like super big, you know, overlay of the promo, right? The promo percent, because that's what they want at that point in time. They just want to know what is your percent off right now. They don't care about you telling them all sorts of stories. So, you know, we have this, to, to Ellen's point, we have this variety of content pieces across formats, across messages, across hooks. And we put them all out there and we see where, what resonates. And with the same idea of, of really deep measurement, we just funnel our budgets towards the concepts that work the best, given the, the moment in time and given kind of like the, the intended audience. Um, but yeah, UGC and influencers is huge. And if I were to advise smaller brands, it's such an easy and cost-effective way to generate creative these days. And I would absolutely start there. Uh, don't try to create this high production value, crazy creative like the big brands. It's not necessary. Definitely not on social media. Find the coolest, craziest creators out there Try to work a deal where they can help your brand and create great content that will resonate with your audience. I always say show how the sausage, don't be afraid to show how the sausage is made sometimes too. Uh, you know, like the Marshmallow Co. that I had on that just basically started taking his phone into his factory and showing the neat things that Marshmallow did and just a visual ASMR kind of thing and just became hugely watchable and they've got hundreds of millions of views now across these different platforms. So don't, don't be afraid to, yeah, put yourself out there, put yourself on camera, tell your, tell your founder's story, you know, things like that. Uh, it's, it's really the, the golden age of guerrilla marketing in a way that Meta has enabled. Uh, so so that, that's pretty sweet. Here's a question. What, what's the status with retargeting? And what's, when it comes to the, the, the actual funnel shape, Helen, I'm just, are we advising at this point different campaigns for different parts of the funnel? Or does the funnel kind of get compressed into letting your algorithm handle it? I mean, that one is, is one where I would say it's a little different depending on different brands and where they're at. So that Advantage Plus shopping product I talked about takes a lot of that funnel marketing 
off your hands. So it does have like retargeting is, is one part of it and it also does acquisition and other parts. So that is a really nice, simple way to go if you don't want to be thinking too deeply about every step of your funnel, honestly. Um, but for other brands, definitely I do recommend to have a funnel approach. Once you get past those, you know, you've got to get your basics right first. There's no point trying to do fancy funnel and fancy creative and all of these things and doing it too much if you don't have your, your foundation really strong. But once you get to that point, absolutely, you know, yes, you should have that full funnel approach and have uh, your campaign structured in such a way that you are thinking about who is the right audience at each step of that funnel. And the right creative for them. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Ben, do you echo that as well? Absolutely. I think creative is everything. I mean, what happened again post iOS 14 is that those retargeting pools just shrank dramatically because you couldn't mistakenly identify who visited your site. And just to make it clear, like when I talk about retargeting, I mean people who you're still prospecting, they've never made their first purchase and you're trying to kind of like get them to make that first purchase after they visited your site versus remarketing being uh, you know, going back against your existing customer base to make a subsequent purchase. So for the retargeting pools, um, essentially you are in the hands of like does Meta or Google or whatever, can they basically identify those pools to the same kind of like size that they used to be before? So I'll just start there. And if it becomes too small, what happens naturally on those platforms is it becomes cost prohibitive to circle them and go with those like really small micro environments trying to hit a very particular audience. And then the system might be like crazy to try and get the people you want. And then it's like, yes, it's a higher quality audience perhaps, but is it too expensive for you to care to kind of like convert them? And so Depending on how big those pools are, if they're too small, I would say don't bother. Just put it in a bigger kind of like campaign, and whether it's ASC or otherwise, and just let the machine do its thing. Because remember, if Meta knows that that person came on your site and never made a purchase, guess what happens naturally in the back end? The likelihood of them making that purchase increases, so Meta will naturally start trying to find them again and beat against them to make the purchase because that's how the algorithm optimizes anyway. So ask yourself whether you should break this out or let the machine do its thing and, and really test it, right? And maybe if I were to think about how to test it, don't just say, hey, is retargeting performing better than prospecting? Therefore, let's put all the money in retargeting. It's working super well. That's not the right way to think about it. The right way to think about it is like, let's create two ecosystems here, one where prospecting and retargeting kind of works in its thing together, another where we break it out, prospecting and retargeting alone. And let's see which ecosystem performs better at that level of aggregation, right? And not to get, again, too analytically uh, inclined here, but that's another thing that's really, really key is not just a measurement, but like accurate measurement, like really thinking through the, the framework you're following so you don't make the wrong conclusions and, and essentially go in the wrong direction. Can I add one, one quick thing there? Uh, absolutely to everything Ben said. And... You know, that, that thinking about how the more narrow and specific a, an audience is, often the more expensive it becomes. Make sure if you're, you're doing a audience that is a retargeting and a prospecting, you have all of these multiple audiences that you're using exclusion targeting so that you're not, you know, then driving the cost up even higher by having multiple campaigns in your um, account also both bidding on that same person who's already a little bit more expensive. So just make sure that you've got that really nice clean account structure or use a product like Advantage Plus Shopping that kind of does that for you. That's that fifth piece of the Performance 5, right? Just making sure you you're have efficiency in how you're set up. Absolutely. 
Very cool. Well, this has been extremely interesting. I love that True Classic is getting into brick and mortar because I think the big story for me with True Classic is, and meta and how it dovetails is it's just like, it's the golden days are not over. When you have things that just align right, meta is still the scale button that, that we used to call. And and now I love it. The, the brands that did, these D2C brands um, that did use Facebook to scale are now, they're going fully omni-channel and they're going fully brick and mortar as well. So it used to be like, oh, we're the cool brands. We're D2C. We're not brick and mortar. But now every big D2C brand recognizes the value in brick and mortar. So can you just talk just quickly about the brick and mortar strategy a little bit, Ben? Absolutely. I mean, think about it this way. When I... Um when I build a strategy here at, at True Classic, I always look through essentially starting with the TAM, right? Like the total addressable market, like where does it exist? So if you think about retail, we play in a category where still the vast majority of clothing for men is being purchased offline in a physical store. Last research I've seen was north of 65%. So if you really believe in that idea that you want to serve the customer wherever they may shop, you got to start presenting yourself in those environments. So to me, that's still direct to consumer, just in a physical fashion. And we wanna really allow people to experiment our products in, in real life and really lean into this like omni-channel experience for them. And so if you were this kind of person who says like, no matter how amazing our ad is and how much I'm trying to convince you that we have the best fitting t-shirt in the world. And you're like, I need to see this for myself. You may never buy online, no matter how much advertising I throw at you. But then you come across our store and you're like, well, actually, I remember these guys and I want to try this on. And you put it on and you're like, holy shit, this shirt is amazing. And then you make your first purchase and then maybe continue to buy from there online, right? The funnel is just kind of like changed in this environment where, you know, there's all these new business models, buy online, pick up in store. And, and what we started to see too is we, we asked those survey questions and we see people that buy online. And when you ask them, where did you first hear about us? They say in the retail location and buy in retail. And when they first heard about us, it's online. And so it's really just understanding that customers don't think about you in terms of like your website or your app or your store. Like, they just think about you as a brand and they may come across you as a brand in many different channels, right? So as we advertise so aggressively, what we're trying to do in a nutshell is to cast a much wider net to interact with our customers, again, wherever they may shop. Um, so retail is a, big, um, is a big strategic move on our part and I am pretty bullish on it longer term, not just in the US, but, but globally, but we still, uh, as a brand, are very much digitally native. So that's an area we are... Uh, learning about and, and, and growing and measuring as we speak. You mentioned it a little bit there, and I think it's really important. I always like to reiterate it. It's not your product even often that they care about. It's the transformation. It's whatever transformation your product offers. So whether it's to feeling more confident, more comfortable, finally feeling right in t-shirts, looking the way you want to look, like it's that's the transformation that people want. And if, if you can connect to that rather than, hey, here's all this stuff we think you should like, it'll make everything work better. Yeah, I just one thing I, I think, you know, there are kind of four typical archetypes of why people buy. So the first one is, is they buy on emotion, how it makes them feel. The second one is they buy a product because they want, or they choose the product that's the most performant. So that is like me in the makeup aisle being like, what is the very best, most scientific mascara I can possibly find? The third is value. So they just want the best value that their money can buy. And the fourth is sensory. Those are the ones who care about the look, the feel, the scent. So when they're in the, the supermarket aisle buying shampoo and you see someone there sniffing it, 
that is the sensory shopper. And so, you know, really with that true classic, as they're coming into those retail environments, there is a sensory shopper who cares about how that t-shirt feels. There's an emotional shopper who cares about how it makes them feel, as well as the, the, the feeling of the fabric itself. And then, you know, that Black Friday shopper who Ben talked about earlier is really all about the value. And I think what they hit best of all is just performance. It is the best fitting shirt. So they are hitting every single one of those uh, kind of different archetypes that we think about when we think about why someone chose a particular product. I love this framework. Thank you for sharing. Helen, I wanted to kind of give you the last word here. Is there anything that we haven't said that you'd like to leave our, our audience with, with uh, how, to, how to be thinking about Meta in 2023? Check out the performance hub that we have on, on the Meta site, uh, Meta for Business, and you can see all of kind of the best practices and tips that we have there. But, you know, really thank you so much for having us today and, and talking about some of the things that we think will help businesses hopefully have a really successful year. And we really want to be the best dollar that every single business out there can spend on their marketing and, and really striving to be that. Yeah, I, I just, I think it is like, there's been other platforms that people are like, oh, they're, they have aspects that people like, and there's kind of, but the consistent theme is, and it was just at this mastermind I just did, that's it's just, you just can't get the scale on a lot of these other platforms that you can get on Meta. And it's, it's always great to see people operating at the highest scale possible, like Ben over here. This has been a lot of fun. You're welcome back anytime, Helen. And Ben, you too. You're, you're good too. This hopefully. Not as good as Helen, but hopefully decent enough to come back. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.